Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, July 25th, 2021. Welcome to The Way, R122 Ministry Live. Glad you're here. Um, today's going to be a little different, uh, and my sermons going forward are going to be a little different as I move more into the coming storm series of sermons. I want to address current events more. I think that's something that's very important for Christian pastors and preachers to be addressing because things are just crazy that are going on in the world. And it's actually fascinating to see. Uh, today's message is entitled, Let Your Light Shine. And it's based on Matthew 5, 13 through 16. But before I get that, like I, like I said, before I get to that, I want to address a couple things before that will help set the stage for the message of let your light shine from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Uh, as usual, if you have any trouble hearing or seeing, please comment if you're watching on the Way Radio or the Way R122 Facebook page, and I'll try to fix it. Uh, the rest of the comments I don't see till after the message. Uh, something I like to do once in a while is to look at headlines um, from what's going on in the world, and I just went through a couple news sites that I visit regularly today and wanted to just go through these headlines because it just gives us just a brief glimpse of some of the things that are taking place in the world around us. The first one says, protests rage across Europe as lockdown vaccination mandates start. And we're starting to see people, uh, literally by the thousands and even millions, protesting because they've had enough of what's going on, what's been going on for so long with the coronavirus hoax. Uh, the next headline, trafficking epidemic fueled by lockdowns, police cuts, and a porous border. Uh, if you're here in America, you're very familiar with the horrific problem that we have since uh, Biden snuck into office with our southern border with Mexico just being wide open and people uh, just coming across the border by the hundreds of thousands. And now they're placing them in hotels. They're busing them throughout the country. And it's leading to uh, another problem that stems from that is trafficking in human beings, mostly, mostly sex trafficking and child pedophile trafficking, trafficking to pedophiles. So that epidemic is being fueled by lockdowns, police cuts, and a porous border. And that is something that's a severe problem here in America right now. Next headline, Republican leaders announce new lockdown plan. This, as the CDC officially, uh, officially admits that the PCR tests are a 100% fraud. So basically the CDC has come out and in a roundabout way admitted that the tests that they've been using relentlessly for the last year and a half are fraudulent because they're being used uh, in such a way to basically just show just about everybody has COVID uh, in one way or another. And now they finally are starting to admit that. But now Republican leaders are joining with the Democrats in America uh, to plant the seeds of the idea for more lockdowns uh, in the fall. They're starting to put out that word. Uh, and that's the, the latest thing on that front. Next headline, Biden administration official officials, excuse me, signal COVID-19 booster shots needed for some Americans. So these vaccinations that they are 
preaching about relentlessly through the mainstream media and doing everything they can to convince people to get them are proving to be uh, not just ineffective, but very dangerous. And now they're saying that you're going to need booster shots as well. So the insanity continues. Next headline, instead of coronavirus, the hunger will kill us. A global food crisis looms. And this is something that I've been talking about and paying attention to uh, really because I, I work in Kenya. We have our church established there. And uh, as you guys know, I go there about every six months. I have a lot of friends there and uh, a lot of third world countries, developing nations are suffering because of what's happening economically and because of the food crisis that has been brought on because of the global response to the COVID hoax. Next headline, this one's from Kenya. 13 dead in fireball as petrol tanker explodes in Kenya. Onlookers rush to the crash site with jerry cans to collect the leaking fuel, but shortly after the but shortly after the truck exploded, consuming the crowd in a terrible inferno. And one of the articles I read on this said that the reason people were siphoning gas from this truck is because poverty has increased so much over the last year uh, that people are doing anything to try to make a couple bucks to be able to buy food for their families. So if there's an accident or a truck a truck crashes like here, they'll do, they'll try to siphon off the fuel so they can either use it or sell it. Again, another result of this COVID thing. Next headline, CIA chief says Taliban in strongest military position since 2001. So on top of all the other stuff that we're dealing with in America and around the world, the Taliban is rearing its ugly head again. And the last headline is California is experiencing a crime tsunami from the Sacramento DA. And I've got family in California. My, my, my sister lives down there with her family. It's where I grew up. And California is a mess because of um, very poor leadership and very uh, evil leadership, really, that's been destroying the state for years. Um, the next thing I wanted to address is um, my sister and her husband and her family was here last week, and we were talking about you know, the whole COVID, the COVID thing and the vaccines. And they'd mentioned that their doctor, who was a, a young, healthy guy, decided to get the Moderna vaccine and shortly after experienced an adverse reaction in that it caused him to have cardiac issues. And if I understood them correctly, he is scheduled for surgery to have a valve repaired on his heart because of what the vaccine did to him. So I did a little bit of research because I wanted to learn more about this and to find out what these vaccines could be doing to people uh, as far as their cardiac health and what it could be doing to their blood. And I came across a video and I'm going to try to share it with you guys. I'm going to pull it up. And if you have any trouble hearing it, I'd ask if you would comment if you can't hear it. Just let me know. But watch this video. It's about three or four minutes. And this doctor explains what they've discovered in the UK uh, as a result uh, of the Moderna vaccine in some of these people that have suffered cardiac issues. Well, the Stu Peters show broke the first reports of the contents of these shots, specifically Pfizer, then AstraZeneca. And that rumble video has now been seen well over a million times. I say that not as a pat on the back, and I'm not boasting. 
I'm actually thankful. I say that to illustrate that people really want to know what's being pushed into their bloodstream, what's being uh, pushed throughout their bodies, how they're being misled. And we've actually kind of been forced to become our own medical investigators as we come to the understanding that zombies in lab coats cannot be trusted, do not have our best interests in mind, do not consider our medical freedom to be of any concern or priority, and are willing to just arbitrarily jab anyone that walks or stumbles into their office or clinic. Well, today we're here to answer specific questions, and Dr. Ruby is here with another bombshell report. UK doctors now have indisputable proof showing exactly what these shots are doing to your blood. And she joins us now, Dr. Jean Ruby. Thank you so much for being here. So there are many reports, Dr. Ruby, documented in theirs. In my inbox, my DMs are flooded with questions. People are having jab remorse. They're feeling tired, weak, mentally clouded, dizzy. What are these shots doing to people's blood? Well, Sue, this is this truly is a bombshell. Uh, this is the first that I've seen uh, blood uh, examination of blood under a regular microscope. These pictures come to us from Dr. Philippe Van Welbergen. He's a 40-year uh, physician uh, with experience uh, in the UK, and he's taken it upon himself to take his patients who have come to him with complaints and illnesses from the jab that he does not recommend. And he's taken a look at their blood uh, under a, a microscope in what's called a blood smear. Let me just share with, with the audience what a blood smear is. Um, your blood is taken like it normally is for any kind of analysis uh, out of your arm, a vein, and into a tube. And then they take some of the blood uh, a bit of a sample, and they put it on a, uh, a specially treated glass plate, and then they look at it under the microscope. What Dr. Van Welbergen has found, and he has shared these pictures, and I believe it's the first time we've seen them, uh, is that, uh, I, I and I provided a photo for us to look at, uh, to your producers. When you're looking at this particular picture, it is a side-by-side, -side, uh, under um, same magnification under the microscope. Uh, on the left, you see healthy, normal blood from a person who has not been injected with any of these uh, materials, any of these quote-unquote vaccines. And you see these are red blood cells. Uh, they're nice and round. They have a, a dark center that's very normal. There is good spacing between them. You don't see any uh, debris or material. You don't see them clumping or with strange shapes. What you're seeing side-by-side side on the right-hand side of your screen is the blood of a blood smear uh, from a person who took one of the Moderna shots. And if you'll notice, uh, before we get to those large gold tubular structures, if you notice on uh, the, the blood cells compared to the healthy ones on the left, you see they're all crumpled, they're, they're, they're not nice and round, their nuclei, they're, the middle portion looks destroyed, and they're starting to clump or aggregate to each other in, in a sticky fashion. Now the gold, uh, he calls them, Dr. Van Welbergen calls those gold uh, structures, uh, tubes that they, when he magnified them even further on the regular microscope, they are actually in a tube form, and you can see the opening on either end of those. Remember, this looks strikingly like the uh, graphene oxide that we saw under the regular microscope from the Spanish researchers, La Quinta Columna, where you saw that sort of folded over protein that looks like uh, that looked like it was under like, a piece of Kleenex under paint. And, and, and that's what this is. He's going to in get investigated further. The second picture you see 
uh, which is a, a picture alone, uh, shows uh, the, uh, a great amount of these blood cells that have totally aggregated. They're not. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. And I'll try to remember to put the link into the show notes for the podcast. And when I publish it on uh, Rumble, um, I don't know if I'll publish this video on YouTube or not, because I've got one strike left there. And I've already said enough to get me the third one and get kicked off. And I'm not sure I'm ready to get kicked off YouTube completely yet. But we'll see. I may go ahead and post it. I really don't care if they kick me off. There's other platforms that we can go to. But you may be asking, why am I sharing this information? Why am I not just coming on and uh, reading a portion of scripture and delving into it and preaching on it? Uh, I, I do that every Sunday and I will continue to do that. But I've been really thinking about it and I've been praying about it. And I've been studying a lot of political issues and trying to figure out what's really going on in the world, who's really in control of what's happening in the world for many, many years. And I feel that um, as Christians, we should have a concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should have concern for the people in the world. And I've decided that as I uncover more of what's happening and obtain more proof about what's happening, it would be wrong for me not to share it. And I believe it's very important that more and more people start waking up to the dangers that we're faced with um, and realizing that we need to share what we learn with everybody that we possibly can. And I would ask you if you are intrigued by the things I speak about and I share about, especially through this coming storm series, which is going to go on for a long time as I share more of this information, share it with others, ask people if they're aware of these things, question people, use these videos that I'll be posting and the information that I'll be uh, sharing to help wake more people up. That's what we must do. There's nothing that says that uh, when you turn in, tune in to a Christian preacher or pastor, that all you should hear is a sermon. Um, you know, if you're familiar with American history, the spirit of 1776 that led to the American Revolution grew mostly in two environments. And one of those was from the environment of the church, from the pulpit, because the pastors were addressing the things that were happening politically as King George was tightening the screws on America through taxation without representation and all the other things that he was trying to do to America. And then in the pubs, when people would sit and discuss the things that they had learned. And I think we need to get back to that kind of a mindset and Christians need to start standing up, voicing what they learn and warning people about the times in which we live. And that's what makes it exciting. I mean, what an opportunity to be able to actually speak up for good when you can clearly see um, what's happening in the world around you. So that's why I'm really striving to start diving into more of this information and, and doing what I can to reach, you know, whoever uh, listens to me or watches the videos. The fact of the matter is that the world is more chaotic because we are in a time right now, I believe, in which the world is moving from a denial of God to a defiance against God. And what I mean by that is for, for quite a few generations, from the late 1800s until maybe the last 15 or 20 years, atheism was, was, was the predominant uh, viewpoint 
that stood contrary to Christianity in academia, in society, uh, just in, in, in people in general, uh, an ignorance of God or a rejection that there is a God. That is changing now, and that denial is becoming from is moving from denial to outright defiance against God. And the reason that's happening is because the atheists continue to have their position eroded. It becomes harder and harder as time goes by. And as we obtain more archaeological evidence that supports God's word in scripture, uh, that supports the biblical narrative, as more and more scientific evidence comes forward that just speaks louder and louder to the truth of a creator, a divine being that created everything, atheism just continues to struggle to continue their point of view. So the re I believe that's one of the reasons that it's moving from a denial of God to a absolute rebellion and defiance against God. And I want to give you a little sampling of what I'm talking about. Anybody that's familiar with the leaders of atheistic thought know who Richard Dawkins is. He's probably the most prominent atheist out there in the last 15 or 20 years. And there was a film in 2008 that starred uh, Ben Stein. Anybody that's familiar with Ben Stein knows he's a very intelligent man. Uh, very, uh, uh, He has a great mind and he has a very beautiful ability to convey truth and to look at things from a from a very uh, even perspective. He gets rid of the political viewpoints. He gets rid of the right and left paradigm. And he just looks at things and he tries to get to the truth of the matter. He is a theist and he's against atheism, but he goes about it in a very good way in trying to address the two viewpoints. And there was a film in 2008 called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, uh, that Ben Stein starred in. And in this movie, this documentary, he interviews Richard Dawkins, the atheist. And I just want to share just a, a little brief segment of this interview because it gives us a little mindset into the really the absurdity of the atheistic viewpoint and why their argument has fallen apart so much. Stein asks the question, he says, what do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be the answer to some issues in genetics or in evolution. And what he's referring to is the fact that through genetics and evolution, evolution is falling apart because science is disproving it instead of proving it. And genetics just continues to show more and more proof of intelligent design. So he says, what do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be the answer to some issues in genetics or in evolution? Dawkins' response is, well, it could come about in the following way. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Now, that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility, and I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the detail. The details of the biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer, and that designer could be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. But that higher intelligence would itself, this is interesting for an atheist to say this, but that higher intelligence would itself had to have come about by some explicable 
or ultimately explicable process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. Stein's closing point after this point, after, after Dawkins stated this, Stein closed it out by saying, so Professor Dawkins was not against intelligent design, just certain types of designers such as God. I mean, you can see in Dawkins' response that he, regardless of what he was being faced with, regardless of his life belief system in atheism being absolutely shredded through genetics, uh, evolutionary theory falling apart through science, he was conceding that there had to have been some kind of creative design, but he would not look at the possibility of that creative intelligence being a divine creator. And that's sort of the quandary that's leading to this rebellion now because the rug's been torn out from under them. So now they're entering a state of rebellion. So that gives a what I'm trying to do here as I move into these sermons in the coming weeks and months is I'm uh, I'm dealing with a huge canvas here and there's a lot of points that I'm going to be making so I'm trying to just put a little bit of the background in place right now and then we'll build on it as we go forward. But I, what I want you to look at right now is I want you to consider something for context. And the reason I say consider it for context is right now I hear a lot of Christians saying you know, things are so out of control. Things are so bad. Things are so dark and evil. This has got to be the end times. Those that adhere to the, you know, pre-trib rapture uh, theory, which I don't agree with at all, are, are claiming that, you know, you got to get ready. The Lord's going to be, be returning and then the Antichrist will be revealed and there'll be seven years of tribulation. So we just got to be waiting for the Lord to come back. Others that just think it's the end times are just waiting for the end times to take place. Those things could be happening. But the question I want to ask you is, or, or, or the viewpoint that I want to present to you is, is to go back and consider what someone who was born in the late 1800s experienced in their life, and then ask yourself if they would have had that same viewpoint that so many Christians have nowadays. Consider this, a person born at the end of the 1800s could very well have lived through, or would have probably lived through, the horrors of World War One, and if you've ever studied World War One, it was horrific for those that participated in it. Beyond, I think, what we can comprehend with nowadays, uh, it was the birth of mechanized warfare. Um, they were using mustard gas and uh, and weapons of destruction that were just annihilating thousands upon, upon thousands of people. The suffering and the pain and the death that happened during that war was like nothing that we could even understand. World War I was horrific. So they would have lived through that. Then right after World War I, they had the Spanish flu, which wiped out people all over the world. Then not long after that, in the, in the 30s, in America, and then it spread to the rest of the world, you had the Great Depression. So now you've got just abject poverty that came into America with the Great Depression. And this would have all have been, if you were born in, say, 1890, this would have been by the time you were like, you know, 30 or 40 years old. Then after the Great Depression, you get to the end of the 30s, Hitler comes to power, and you've got World War II, I believe, in the end of the 30s up to like 1944 or 43, I forget when World War II ended. Then in the 50s, you've got the Korean War, 
And then in this, and then right after that, you've got the Vietnam War. So one person could have very well lived through all that horrific atrocity. And you got to ask yourself, from a, what what must have been their mindset? Did they think this has got to be the end times? Because if you look at all those things, it says in the Bible, there will be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation. You would have had to have think this is the end, you know, when you saw what was happening in World War I, when you saw Hitler coming to power, when you saw an actual pandemic, not a fake one, like the Spanish flu and people really dying in a pandemic. Did they think like we're thinking nowadays? But then let's add another layer to this viewpoint. From a spiritual perspective, they would have been confronted with some very dark teachings that came about at that time. So as you've got all this horror coming onto the world through these wars and disease and everything else, now you have these dark, evil, spiritualistic teachings that are taking place that are pulling the rug under from, from under a lot of people that really weren't grounded in any kind of faith or in Christians that really weren't true Christians. The first example of that is, and I'm going to give you four examples here, but as you'll see as we move forward into future sermons, is within these four people's teachings that I'm talking about, there's a lot of sub-teachers and a lot of subcategories of other movements that came about. But these are just four that I thought were really interesting to consider to help sort of look at how people might have been thinking back during these times. First one is Charles Charles Lyell. He invented or he, he developed the theory of what's called uniformitarianism. Uh, he came around in the 1830s, and uniformitarianism basically taught that current geological processes can account for geological processes historically since the beginning of time. In other words, he believed that the, the present is the key to the past. So when you hear that, you think, well, what's the big deal about that? And the reason I think a lot of us with a modern mind think what's the big deal about that is because this is much of, of what we were taught in school. Geological processes now are what we can use to gauge how things happened geologically since the beginning of time. It's the, just this slow grinding away that really never changes, and that's how the world was formed. What's the big deal with that? Well, until he came up with this theory, pretty much everyone agreed that there was a great cataclysmic catastrophe many, many years ago, which was what? We read about it in the Bible, the flood of Noah. Now, we found in the strata of the earth through geological research that there was something called the Cambrian explosion. And during the Cambrian period, if you if you dig down into the earth, you'll find all of a sudden there's this huge deposit of fossils, just this layer of fossils that happened thousands of years ago. That's one of the strongest proofs that we have that there at one point in history was a catastrophic event that wiped out everything and deposited this layer of fossils. So that speaks very clearly to the flood, the truth of the flood narrative that we read about in God's word. The reason I bring this up, though, is because uniformitarianism was one of those first attacks against Christianity and started changing the mindset of the world and thinking, well, maybe the flood is just a myth. Maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe it's just a Bible story to help us better understand things. 
but it wasn't true. So it's, it just starts planting that seed of doubt. And remember, that's how Satan works. When he when he questioned when when he tempted even the garden, he didn't just he didn't attack God. He didn't say God is wrong. He's not really God. He just said, "Did God really say that? Is that really the way it is?" See, that's how he works. So shortly after Charles Lyell, he was in the 1830s. Then in the 1860s, you have Charles Darwin, and he comes along with his theory of evolution. So the theory of evolution now claims that there is no designer. Everything happened by chance. Everything started through one single organism, and that is what grew into all the organisms in the world and eventually became mankind, the theory of evolution that Charles Darwin came up in the 1860s. And I don't have to delve into that. Obviously, that is completely contrary to the truth of creation in Scripture. Then you go back. Uh, and then you move forward into the late 1800s, and the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche came along. And his motto was, God is dead. And I'll share a quote from him. Nietzsche said, we deny God, and in denying God, we deny responsibility. Only thus do we redeem the world. Adolf Hitler was, a devoted, was devoted to uh, Nietzschean philosophy. So Nietzsche's philosophies helped corrupt the mind and led to the insanity of what Adolf Hitler tried to achieve. So the, like I said, the reason I'm sharing all this is, is over time, you'll start to see how this all fits together, and it will enable you to look at what we're dealing with now in a much broader perspective, and it helps you to understand more clearly what we're dealing with in the world. So Nietzsche said, but one, I want to repeat this. Nietzsche said, God is dead. And then he said, we deny God. And in denying God, we deny responsibility. Only thus do we redeem the world. What do we see happening now? Relative morality, relative truth. If morality is relative and you don't have anything to measure it by or any standard of morality that you are supposed to live up to, then what are you saying? that you're denying responsibility for morality. So you can see Nietzsche's influence very much in the modern homosexual movement, in the movement now that we have to make uh, pedophilia accepted, where they're saying that's just a normal expression of sexuality. You start to see how these things have grown in the psyche of the modern mind as you study them. And then the last one on the, that I'm going to share with, and like I said, these are just four examples, but there's a lot of subcategories within these that we'll get into later, uh, was the man Aleister Crowley. He was known as the Great Beast 666, the king of depravity, the wickedest man in the world, and he really became prevalent in the early 1900s. And if you study what Crowley was into, and Crowley was an absolute depraved satanic, occultic, black magic. It's disgusting if you read what this guy tried to do with his life. Um, much of modern music in the entertainment industry reflects the influence of Crowley. It's interesting if you look at what he taught, what he believed, the things that he did in his life, and those that he influenced, you see why modern music modern entertainment, and so much of modern art is absolutely garbage and so evil 
it's because of his influence. But they all led one to another. You see? So that person born at the late 1800s would have been faced with all this war, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, Korean War, Vietnam War, World War I, and then with all this spiritual depravity happening at the same time. Now think back, who, who was preaching during these, these years in the 1800s? Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon's greatest battle in his ministry was the fight against the downgrade controversy. There was an effort in the modern church at that time to start watering down the gospel, gospel or downgrading it to make it more palatable in a worldly sense so people would be more drawn to it. And Spurgeon saw that this is not what you do. You are not to be conformed to the world. You're to preach the gospel without compromise. So he was totally against it. And I believe in reading a couple of his biographies that it's really what drove him to an early grave because this battle, he was so intensely involved in this battle and he was being attacked so vehemently by those mostly from within the church and also in the world that were trying to make this come about that it, the stress of it um, killed him in his mid fifties. But ask yourself, with all these things I've shared, did Christians sit down during times of crisis in the past and wait for the rapture or just give up assuming it was the end times? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because when I read the writings of people that lived during these times, they were passionate, they were joyful, they were getting on with the business that God put in front of them. They were getting on with the business of preaching the gospel of doing whatever ministry it was that God called to do. And it's like I've said before, when I say ministry, I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about preaching and I'm talking about teaching, but I'm also talking about those that are administrators, those that are helping those that are preaching and teaching, those that are supporting missionaries. Like I've said before, I could never do what I do without those that help me do what I do. And we all are just different gears in the same machine all moving forward in the same purpose. But they did not sit on the headlines when these horrific things were going on around them. They, they lit up and they engaged in the battle more. Regarding what we're dealing with now and we've been dealing with for the last year or so, I'm convinced that the COVID hoax would never have been able to last as long as it has if the lies and propaganda had been silenced, and more importantly, if more people would simply look for truth and think. I've said this before, if people would just slow down and think and seek truth, find out if what they're being told is true, is this really what's happening? This thing would have been stopped in its tracks a long time ago. The good side of that is, is that especially in the last few weeks, people are waking up all over the world and protesting against the tyranny that's parading in the name of COVID-19. You are seeing people in Europe, in city after city, taking to the streets and saying, enough is enough. We are not taking the shots. We are not putting on the mask. And we are not shutting down our businesses and locking ourselves in our homes and being driven into poverty because of this thing that you made up. And that is happening all over the world now. And Christians need to have that viewpoint. As Christians, ask yourself the question, how can we change the evil that is happening when so many people are either part of it or go along with it without thinking? And that leads us directly into today's message because it, it is the answer to all the things that I just addressed 
in this rather extended introduction. So let's pray, and we'll get into Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to gather here uh, to spend time together online, to gather at a distance. And Lord, I just ask that you would open the hearts and minds of those that hear this message and that you would do a mighty work through it and that your truth would go forth powerfully and that we would see that in you, we do not have to fear anything of this world and that we have a power far beyond our ability. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I really, I wouldn't even need to go into this message because if you read that portion of scripture, it answers the question that I just posed. How do we have an effect for good in the midst of so much evil and darkness? The, what I just read is the answer to that, but, but let's look at it more closely. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. Christ is speaking to believers here. What does salt do when he says you are the salt of the earth? What does salt do? Salt preserves and salt adds flavor. So you can think of yourself as a preservative and something that adds flavor to the world. Salt's primary value in biblical times was as a preservative. The world is full of ignorance and wickedness. It is rotting. That's what entropy is. Disciples are to hinder the rotting corruption of the world. Disciples are to hinder the rotting corruption of the world. By our lives and doctrine, we season the world with knowledge, truth, and grace. The savings of souls and their preservation is our business as disciples of Christ. A small amount of salt spread, spreads its flavor over a large area. Anybody that's cooked, no, I'm a terrible cook. My wife and my son are both great cooks. But you know, if you put a little bit of salt in something, it changes the taste of a large dish. Just a little bit of salt. Picture that as the sprinkling of the gospel in the world that sprinkling of salt and the way it affects a dish is a symbol or an example of the sprinkling of the gospel in the world. Look at Matthew 13, 3. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, whoops. Here we go, guys. Sorry. There we go. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. He's giving us an example, symbolically, of the way that the gospel works. That little bit of leaven, you put it in the dough, and it spreads and transforms and changes the whole thing. A beautiful picture of how the gospel works. But I want you to think of this. Christ also warns about the leaven of the Pharisees, or you could say the leaven of the world, working evil in the opposite direction and affecting what should be only good leaven. 
The type and direction of leaven in the modern church must be reversed. The leaven of the world has spread into the church rather than the leaven of the gospel spreading in the church and out into the world. That's why the modern church is such a wreck right now. It's why there's so much confusion, so much infighting, so much unpreaching of the gospel and humanism, because the leaven of the world has crept into the church and spread rather than the leaven of the truth of the gospel spreading from the church out into the world. So things have got to be reversed on that point. Let's look at Salt's biblical narrative. So we know it's a preservative. We know it's a flavoring. And we know it can, can, be, can be also uh, exemplified through leaven. But let's look at Salt's biblical relevance. Numbers 18, 19 says, All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. An everlasting covenant is a covenant of salt. The gospel is an everlasting covenant. Salt was required in all sacrifices. If you read the commands of how to do sacrifices in the Old Testament, salt was required in them. Salt was used in ratifying covenants, but this is really interesting. Salt doesn't burn, so it also symbolizes eternal preservation. Our, we are guaranteed salvation in Jesus Christ eternally, and it is a gift that we cannot lose. We are preserved eternally in Christ. Now, here we get another beautiful picture of the salt of the gospel as an example from a miracle that was worked by Elisha the prophet. In 2 Kings 2, 19 through 22, he says, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. Now, notice he says a new bowl. What does the Lord says we use in the New Testament? You can't put new wine into old wineskins. New wine, new wineskins. He says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Again, the water he threw it into is the world. The new bowl is the new vessel in Christ. The salt is the message of the gospel, salvation. We're dropped into that water, and that message spreads out. You see? The symbolism and the visual representations that we have in Scripture are always just so profound and amazing. John 17, 18 says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Salt being sprinkled into the world. Christians are sent as pilgrims into this dark and fallen world. Christians are to be seasoned with the gospel, with the salt of grace, to testify and witness about Christ and his kingdom. Romans 10, 17 through 18 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. That's the message of the gospel spreading throughout God's kingdom as he prepares for his return. The world and society reflect the pride of Satan. 
So this is the opposite side of it. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and we see why some don't respond to that gospel message. And 1 John 5, 19, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So like I've said before, we exist in enemy territory if we are in Christ. This is why we shouldn't be surprised that the things that are happening in the world are happening. They are We are behind enemy lines. But as we spread that light, that message, that salt of the gospel, we push light into that darkness, and we're winning the battle. But I'll warn you, beware of misunderstanding these scriptures, because this is where, this is where Christian pride can come in. Never be prideful, and always remember that we are saved and sustained by grace, just because he says we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, that is never a cause for pride or self-righteousness. We always have to remember the truth of the fact that we are saved only by God's grace as a free gift. We stand in no righteousness of our own. We only stand saved and redeemed and reconciled to God through the righteousness that we are clothed in, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son, because of Calvary. So never misunderstand the scriptures and, and fall into pride. Look at Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full of day. That's a Christ, picture of the Christian walk. You come to Christ, the light dawns on you. And as you walk in him and you move through life, seeking to serve him and to be conformed to his image, it grows brighter and brighter like you're walking into a new day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Is that not a picture of the modern world? They do not know over what they stumble. Because folks, I can just tell you, if I ever just try to, you know, I just want to get a, a glimpse of what's going on in the world, so I'll turn on mainstream media. That's really what I see. The blind stumbling over what they do not understand. That is the, the modern world, and it's a picture of the modern mainstream media. They do not know over what they stumble. Like I said before, believers are not to be affected or enticed by the world. We are not to conform to the world. The world is death and destruction and eternal separation from God. We are completely contrary to it. It is darkness. We are light. Look at John 2, 15 through 16 and Matthew 6, 33. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But what you've got to realize is the right things will be added to you, not the things in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions. So many Christians think that's reward from God when it's nothing more than a stumbling block. And um, uh, sorry, something <laughs> scared me behind me. It's nothing more but a stumbling block and a trap set by Satan. God will bless you with right things, righteous things, things that help you grow and to be conformed to the image of Christ. He will not put things in your life that are going to take your focus off of Christ. There's nothing wrong with having a decent life and having a respectable life and living comfortably. But do not get drawn into 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possession. Seek first the God, kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add to you things that are true and meaningful. As Christians faithfully fulfill the Great Commission, the cultures around them will be transformed. So this is my question. How do we affect what's going on when it seems like the battle could be so lost when we just see chaos and insanity happen all over the happening all over the world? Christians faithfully fulfill the Great Commission. As we do so, the cultures around us will be transformed. Through neglect of the gospel and unfaithfulness, the church has been polluted by the world. The message of the gospel is the message of light and life and truth, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So again, we've got to reverse the tide that has been going in the wrong direction for so many generations now, for so many years, and turn that back around to where the gospel is being poured out into the world instead of the world being poured into the church. Look at Luke 24, 45 through 47. This is where faith springs when you're sharing the gospel with people. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is when Christ was walking with those two men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and they didn't know who he was, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the point I'm, the reason I'm sharing this is to remember that we share the gospel, we can't make people believe it. We do not have to convince people to make a decision for Christ. We share the gospel, we pray that the Holy Spirit does a work in them through that message of the gospel. And if they respond through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do everything we can to disciple them up and to help them grow in Christ. That's our job, not saving people. Now think of this. This is very important for these times that are so challenging. And it seems so easy just to say, I'm done with this Christian thing. I'm tired of the battle. Everybody just picks on me all the time. The salt of the Dead Sea can lose its saltiness after years of being exposed to rain and the elements. I would say the salt of the Christian can lose its saltiness after years of being exposed to ridicule and condemnation from the world. Don't let that happen. If that happens, you become unprofitable. You become unfruitful. You become good for nothing. The bad salt was used on the streets and, on, and floors for traction, but the salt connected to the rock retains its saltiness. And the reason I think this is such an important thing for us to remember nowadays is so many Christians spend, they're spending their lives on social media thinking that they're engaging in ministry, putting up Christian memes, or trying to share you know, something that'll uh, spark somebody that's an unbeliever into an argument, especially those that are involved in apologetics. They'll spend, they'll spend literally their lives just debating people on social media. And I can tell you, I've talked to people who have gone to college for years, Christian universities, to become Christian apologists, and they have told me that they have left being an apologist because it stole their joy. So what am I talking about? First of all, if you've ever listened to me, you'll know that I, I think Christianity and social media just don't click. I, I just, I, I try not to spend too much time on Facebook anymore. I post my sermons on there and that's about it. The reason I've backed off on it, especially in the last couple of years, is because 
it, it cheapened Christianity to me. It's like people just throwing stuff out and then the Christian message is just thrown out with everything else. But the other thing is those that aren't, those that are against the gospel are not going to change their minds on social media. There's something about it that is dark and toxic. And I think it's like tossing your pearls before swine. That's my opinion. If, you, if you're into that, I guess go ahead and do it. But I will tell you that it will wear you down. I heard somebody yesterday say, I forget where it was. They said, the gospel is most powerfully proclaimed through relationship. So stop trying to save the world on social media and pray that the Lord will put the people in your path in your day-to-day -day life who he wants you to share the gospel with. If you share the gospel with one or two people a year and they come to Christ, that's a huge accomplishment. Heaven rejoices over that because you don't know who they're going to reach. So the point I'm making is don't let the, the machine of social media grind you down and crush you because that's what I've seen it do to so many Christians. And it's just not an effective platform. Again, you may disagree with me on that, but I believe that's the case. So the salt connected to the rock retains its saltiness. What does that mean? We're connected to Christ. We retain our saltiness, our flavoring, our zest, our fire. Second Samuel 22, 2 and 3. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. If we stay <coughs> connected to Christ, clinging to him, abiding in him, abiding in his word, we will retain our saltiness and not be worn down by this world. We must abide in the Lord and be in communion with him. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of Christ in us, in his church, is what he's talking about here. The gospel is the light of truth that destroys the darkness of ignorance. Look at Isaiah 61 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Matthew Henry said, the gospel is so strong a light and carries with it so much of its own evidence that like a city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. It cannot but appear to be from God. So ask yourself the question, do you have faith in the power of God through the gospel? This is a severe issue in modern Christianity. This is the whole reason that I had to start the Recovery Reformation ministry years ago was because the modern church almost all of it, I would say at least 90% of the modern church has little or no faith in the power of the gospel, because if they had faith in the power of the gospel, they would simply be safe reaching those who are lost in addiction with the message of the gospel, rather than trying to rely on programs that are completely contrary to the message of the gospel. That's all Recovery Reformation is. I had a guy that, that calls me once in a while, called me the other day who's also in ministry, and he wanted to know uh, if I could write, write up things explaining recovery reformation and maybe put together something that would help people that he talks to. And I finally told him, I said, 
I'll be honest with you, dude. I think I'm about done with recovery reformation because all I need to do is put a Bible in people's hands. There's nothing I need to write that's going to accomplish more than what God has put in his word in scripture. And that's what I've been trying to tell people since I started that program years ago. People have asked me over and over again, are you going to write a program? Is there something we can use in our church? What is it that you use, you know, to help the addict? Folks, if you're a pastor or a preacher or a Christian leader and you're asking that question, you need to get into prayer. You need to start studying the gospel because you've got a severe deficiency in your faith. I'm sorry. Addicts are sinners. Nothing more. Preach the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. And realize you don't have to save all of them. You don't have to get everybody sober. Share the gospel. If the Holy Spirit moves on that person, disciple them up. If he doesn't, pray for them. But there's nothing else you can do. You see? Do you have faith in the power of God through the gospel? Ask yourself that, especially if you're in Christian leadership. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only light and the only truth. It should never be presented as an alternative or even as a choice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way out of condemnation. And this is another huge mistake that so many are making nowadays where they are presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ as just another option on the self-help shelf. You can, you know, listen to Oprah, you can listen to this, you can listen to that, you know, you could try the gospel for a while. No, it is the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing compares to it. Everything contrary to it has to be done away with. Give an example of, of the futility of the world. Uh, John Steinbeck wrote a book called The Log from the Sea of Cortez, and it's uh, it talks a lot about him and his close friend, Ed Ricketts, and they used to have just these, these beautiful conversations and in one of their conversations, they were talking about basically the futility of the American legal system and where its flaws lie. And Ed Ricketts said, each side wants to win, and that factor warps any original intent to the, to the extent that the objective truth of the matter disappears in emphasis. Folks, if anybody wanted to explain, if anybody asked me to explain why I don't almost never engage in debate on social media or try to stay away from it as much as possible is exactly because of this reason. Each side wants to win and that factor warps any original intent to the extent that the objective truth of the matter disappears in emphasis. See, when you go to court, the attorneys don't care what the truth is. The attorneys want to win. You see? So even if the attorney knows he's defending a guy who's guilty, he's still going to do the best he can to win the case. Think about that. And that's what happens so much in today's world. People don't care about truth. They care about their own position and how to most clearly emphasize what they think is right, regardless of what truth is. That's why relative truth is so toxic. Relative morality is so toxic. As Christians, we stand on truth and everything outside of the gospel and the word is lies. Our concern should be for the glory of the Lord and the cause of the gospel, not ignorant people's feelings. Love and truth is not always sweet talk and roses. We are so concerned nowadays with hurting people's feelings, confronting people, saying, saying something that might you know go against their belief system. Show me where that is in scripture. Paul cut to the bone. 
Christ cut to the bone. If they proclaim the gospel, bam, bam, bam. We've got to get back to having that kind of guts. So go Matthew 5, 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Believers who abide in Christ are in the Father's house. The light of Christ through believers and the gospel draw those in the darkness to it. We don't have to be concerned with winning the world. If we are being who we should be and we're shining with the light of Christ, those in the world will be drawn to it. Disciples of Christ must not keep what they have been given and blessed with to themselves. We must spread the salt of the gospel far and wide and with every opportunity. Those who reject the gospel are left outside in the darkness. Look at Mark 6.11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Folks, people go against this command of Scripture constantly because of social media. That's what I was talking about. They will spend, they'll make a career out of arguing with people in false religions rather than sharing the gospel. And when they're ridiculed for it and it's rejected, instead of dusting off their feet and moving on with their walk with Christ, they just engage, 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 engage. And that's casting your pearls before swine and it's cheapening the message of the gospel. Do not be drawn into that. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the answer to the question, how do we affect this darkness? John 20.21 says, <clears throat> Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As Christians in Jesus Christ, we are sent, we are commissioned, and we are tasked with a divine purpose. Look at Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We are tasked with sharing the plan and the word and the mystery of God that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Think of that. Is there any greater reason to get out of bed in the morning? Is there any greater purpose for life? Praise the Lord for that. The gospel must be preached without compromise. Folks, like I said, stop the tide of compromise and strive to preach the gospel without compromise in complete and perfect truth led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 17, 30-31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's not pulling punches here. The times of ignorance of uh, ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Not asking, commanding. If you want a picture of ministry, Paul's ministry is a model for carrying out the work of a Christian. And I'll share two verses from Paul's ministry. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. And then in Romans 1, 14 through 16, Paul writes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. You could say uh, to the Gentiles and the Jews, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I'll close with this. We are called to do works of mercy and compassion. Compassion and mercy for the brethren, compassion and mercy for the poor and the hurting in the world, and compassion and mercy for our enemies. In doing so, we make credible the gospel that we preach. Do everything as the spearhead with the spearhead of the message of the gospel. In doing so, we make the gospel credible that we preach, glorifying God by being a true individual in contradiction and nonconformity to this world. And Matthew 5, 16 again says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Daniel 12, 3 is a perfect verse to close this with. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So if you ask yourself, how do I shine brighter with the light of Christ? You study his word, you pray. You grow in Christ. You shine more brightly. The more you mature in him, the more you understand the gospel, the more you strive to understand his word and to see things through that eternal perspective that we're striving to get here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach today. Lord, I ask that you would just bless this message, that you would touch the hearts of every person that hears it. For those that don't know you, that you would uh, speak your truth to them and open their eyes to the light of your truth, that they would be delivered from the darkness. And for those that do know you, that they'd be edified and strengthened through it. Please guide us in the coming week. Open opportunities for us to share the gospel for others. And most of all, please just glorify yourself in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thank you for listening today. If you get a chance, please visit our sponsor website, elephantwalk.net. Uh, caring in every step reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. If you type the way, all lowercase, at checkout, you get 10% off. Uh, you can find us on the web at thewayr122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Dot org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. And if you remember, it was only like two or three weeks ago that I announced that the podcast had just gone over 10,000 downloads, which I thought was pretty good because I've really only been publishing, you know, diligently every single week for about a year and a half. And we reached 10,000 downloads a couple weeks ago. I just got a notification today we've already gone over 11,000 downloads. So somehow the podcast is growing and growing. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really promote it. Um, I should probably learn more about it. Um, there are people that spend a lot of time, you know, making sure that their podcast is on Apple and Spotify and all these different uh, platforms. I know mine is supposed to be on there because I followed the guidelines when I first launched the podcast. I know it's on Spotify. I think it's on um, the Apple one. I'm not sure. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. When I started it, I sort of made a decision. I, I saw how much time people spent promoting their podcast and, you know, money they spent on equipment and everything else. And I thought, you know what, I'd rather spend my time just trying to put together the best message I can. And hopefully that'll be enough. And uh, my son bought me a microphone. That's the only equipment that I use besides my computer is the microphone that he bought me a few months ago uh, or for Christmas last year. And um, 
praise the Lord, the podcast is just <laughs> rocking and rolling. I couldn't believe it this morning when it said we were at like 11,199 downloads or something like that. So, you know, if you listen to it, I'd love to have you comment. Uh, if you can give it five stars, I guess you can rate podcasts on the different platforms. I've never asked for that. That would probably help us. Um, but it's pretty cool that, that that is reaching so many people. And thank you for those that support the ministry, because I couldn't do any of this if it wasn't for those that that helped me do it, because it all takes a lot of time uh, to do all this stuff. It's an awesome blessing, but it can also be very difficult if you're struggling to make ends meet, uh, which is always the case in Christian ministry. We're currently on YouTube at the Way Ministry Church. That may end at any time. I'm slowly uploading uh sermon videos to Rumble. I'm hoping that will be our main platform before too long, but Rumble is, is starting to grow. We're getting more and more viewership there. You can find us on Rumble at the Way R122. And I'm thinking I may go ahead and just continue to populate the ministry channel on brighteon.com too. I haven't really paid attention to that for a few months, but this morning I thought, you know what? I might just focus on Rumble and Brighteon and go ahead and publish something on YouTube that'll get get me kicked off once and for all. Um, if you could donate and help us, we definitely could use it. I really am starting to feel the call that I need to start thinking about my next trip to Kenya. Um, I'm in constant communication with my friend, Pastor Patrick, and there's a lot of work we want to do at his location. We need to get Bibles. We need to get more teaching materials. We need to, uh, there's so much we need to do there. It's a huge uh, burden, but it's a blessing to be able to engage in that. And we're doing all we can at a distance, but I really want to get there and to be able to hold a conference, you know, explain more of what we're doing to those that are involved and to hopefully bring more people to that location. Because when, you know, an American pastor goes there and preaches, it does draw a crowd and to fight back against the false teachings that are so prevalent in Africa right now. So please consider helping us. Just go to the way the letter R122.org. And thank you for being here today. We'll be back here next week. Same time, same place. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.